Hey, hi. Welcome to Someone Else's Movie, the original podcast where an actor, writer, director, or nebulous industry figure gives a little love to a movie they didn't make. I'm Norm Wilner, senior film writer for Now Magazine, and this is the other thing I do. My guests this week are Nancy Kelly and Kenji Yamamoto, who are partners in both filmmaking and in life. Their most recent collaboration was Rebels with a Cause, a documentary about the grassroots movement to preserve American seashores, but just last month, Kino Lorber rolled out a new 4K restoration of their 1991 drama Thousand Pieces of Gold, starring Rosalind Chow as a young Chinese woman sold into slavery in 1880s America. It's now available on disc and on digital, and you should seek it out. It's kind of a lost classic. Nancy and Kenji picked L'Enfant, Jean-Pierre and Luc Dardenne's 2005 drama starring Jeremy Renier as Bruno, a shiftless young thief in a small Belgian town who's a new father and under a lot of stress, and he makes, well, let's just say a very bad decision. As acutely observed as their previous films, The Promise, Rosetta, and The Sun, L'Enfant is also the Dardenne's version of a thriller, moving in closer and closer as the consequences of Bruno's decision pile up, and still somehow keeping us on his side when he tries to put things right. It's a nail-biter, and a great one. And I'm really glad we got to talk about it. This is someone else's movie. It speaks not only to the underclass, but, you know, it, it's moral chaos. The, our central character is, um, is, a, is a, a, a petty thief. But there's a part of him that has heart, and that's what makes it interesting. And... Um, the fact that he not only works with very young, underage, petty thieves, petty thieves in training, <laughs> uh, it just shows this whole other culture that is unknown to most people. It dares the viewing audience to sympathize with the character. This film really dares you, and it does it very well in so many ways. Um, you find pity in this character. He's, even though he is despicable in so many ways, there's something that's actually kind of charming. Um, you know, the one thing that is really great is that there's no background that the filmmakers have afforded us about, you know, growing up with a, 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 a family that's been destroyed or very poor. None of that is, is filling the screen or your mind or your heart. You're just watching this guy in action and he is so motivated. You can't help but be compelled to watch it. It's so incredibly truthful to real life, we think. <laughs> at, uh, when did you first encounter it? Did you see it at a festival? Did you catch it theatrically? We've been Dardane fans for a while, and uh, what was it? I don't I remember, remember when we first saw it. I mean, we live in the Bay Area, so, you know, it's like, it could have been at a festival, but it could have been um, at just one of the great independent theaters that are around. So, I don't remember. I don't remember. That was made in 2005? Yeah. 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 Um, but we've also seen it so many times. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, when we were trying to figure out like what we would like to talk to you about, um, you know, we've been together for 40 years and we love to have the movies together. And so it was just like, oh, there's this and there's that. But then when Kenji said, oh, something by the Dardans, it was like, yes, let's do that. Yes. So 
Um, and then it was hard to decide which of their films we liked the best, but I think this is hands down yes, the best. Yes, I mean, we were both uh, drawn to Vagabond. Uh, that's a stunning film, too. Uh, the plight of a young woman at, at being so poor and my gosh, um, your heart just goes out to her. And uh, an interesting play on time, too. Yeah, well, I mean, that's the, the genius of that film is that we know how it ends, right? We know yes, that this, exactly. nothing she does is going to change the way things work out for her. And so it's just such a great way of instantly becoming sympathetic to this character who, I mean, yeah, just resists sympathy for the entire film. She just doesn't want it. And so right. it's just this this masterstroke on Varda's part of, right. yeah. of connecting us to her. Um, the Dardenne. Can I, can I ask you a question about yes, that? Yes, Do you sure. think that they started out with that intention of that be, as the beginning, or do you think that they just oh. nobody could sympathize with that character, and and that was their way of making that happen? I wonder. I think yeah, Varda has played with time enough, and 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 structure in her films that I think it must have been a conscious choice beforehand. Mm-hmm. But if it is an editorial solution, it's brilliant. Like it's just, it's a masterstroke either way. Right. Right. Or maybe they just were struggling with that when they were writing the script. They probably don't too. struggle the way some people do. <laughs> you know, a lot of our, our enjoyment in watching films is the, of course the neorealism that Desika started with Bicycle Thief. And there's always a draw to that in that, the naturalism that plays out. Um, Ken Loach does the same thing, and uh, it, it's, it makes us gravitate to a narrative film that it really speaks of life, untarnished, unpolished, there it is. This is yeah. the real situation, and uh, maybe a situation that most viewers don't see, and, and I feel like my heart just gets, my soul gets bared when we, when we witness these films and Dardane Brothers really sort of in the pinnacle of their career. They really know how to be fascinated uh, by a situation and, and think of a narrative. Uh, I think I read about uh, uh, LaFont and that they were making a film and as they were shooting, they witnessed a, a young woman with a baby carriage, you know, hustling down the street. And that sort of set them off to think of a narrative that would sort of fill her life. And I thought, that is fascinating to me, that sophisticated and very elite uh, men uh, could sort of be in the soul of these underclass people, as it were. And they have a great depth of understanding of the human Human nature. Yeah. It's a kindness, right? Like it's a boundless kindness towards their characters that even though they are frequently, and, and right around the mid 2000s, a lot of their movies revolved around parents and children and people just making the absolute worst decision and then either trying to walk it back or refusing to apologize for it right up until it crashes down around them. And somehow I can rewatch these films as opposed <laughs> to just sit there and, and hate Right. The, what I'm seeing. And yeah. I mean, even for even as far back as Rosetta, they were determined to make you connect to all of these people. Varda's Vagabond is a great example to bring it up in connection yeah. because they do have that same continuum of, of sympathy and feeling for their subjects, for their characters. Um, 
and I think the fact that they have uh, like Jeremy Renier is in in L'Enfant and in most of their like they work with him constantly because they know what he's capable of, ah. and that gives us as fans of of their work. Um, a false sense of security because <laughs> oh you know they like him he'll be fine yeah right and that is not what this movie's about yeah you know it was really brilliant that the the characters Bruno and and Sophie were so joyous together early in the film that they really had love if that was missing in this film if that was not captured early on I I would have felt like this would be too dark to watch and uh that they really possess a, a, a life, a happy life. Uh, they were like children themselves in a way, weren't they? <laughs> yes. in the yeah. yeah, I mean, they clearly have no idea what responsibility really is or what... <laughs> well, she did. Yeah, that's true. She's she actually did. already like, ahead of before they way. were rolling around in the grass, she went and looked in the back of the convertible, right? She checked to be sure that Jimmy was fine, mm-hmm. right? She, she was... You know, like, even from that first moment when you see her climbing the stairs, you know, like, the film starts like that. She was, you know, taking care of the baby, holding the baby, you know, not being all cooey and stuff, but you know that she had a mature attitude towards being a mother. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, in a way, she's also mothering him as well. (laughs) Um, Yeah. She's clearly been taking care of him. He, He... goes out and has the illusion that he's the head of the household and, and is is responsible, but he sees everything as an opportunity to be exploited. And so he can uh, never really... like You can't be responsible if you're always looking for the next hustle. Well, he and, rented out her apartment while she was in the <laughs> hospital delivering the baby. Exactly. She came back and they wouldn't even let her in. She had to practically kick the door down to get her, her phone charger. I mean... He was hustling yeah, his own he was mother. His own, right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, exactly. And, you know, also inventing Airbnb, but no one yeah. gave him any credit for that. No. Right, right. Yeah. And he, just that little scene with the mother, um, you know, sort of knowing what kind of character he, he is, um, she herself is like, sort of like accepting it as it is. You know, it's like, all right, I'll go in with you on this game, as it were. Yeah. And, uh, uh, Wow, I, I just felt like um, like she may have had this other occupation as a petty thief herself. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, possibly. I mean, she's very she rolls with pretty much everything. She seems. Yeah. But remember, yeah, I, right before she um, she kind of was had almost shut the door on him, the mother, and then she opened it again and she said, "What time was he here?" Yeah. Right. I mean, you could tell yeah. she had been going through in her mind like. All right, the police are going to come. They're going to ask me these questions. I mean, she knew. She knew that. She's putting a story in there, yeah. I mean, we were talking about this this morning. That What was so great was that they didn't spend a lot of time on either one of the characters' backstories, really, except that there was that little moment with, um, with Bruno's mother where, you know, it was like, oh, his mother's, she's had her experience yeah. with the police, too. She's part of this sort of, underworld <laughs> yeah anyway. it's, I mean it speaks it speaks volumes as to who he is and where he comes from and why he is the way he is maybe but even if this is just something he's done to wear down everybody else it's 
it's effective, right? Like it's it's worked for him to this point because he's never suffered any real consequence because there is this support system that people protect him and make it, and make sure he'll be okay until he does something which is unforgivable, except right. that right. we still want to forgive him because we kind of like him. He's right. a terrible person. That was pretty unforgivable, but the way that he... I mean, did you find yourself liking him when he was like putting the baby on the floor and then coming in and finding the money? Well, maybe not in that moment. Yeah. <laughs> but you just but it's that thing where because I am empathizing, because I'm already sympathetic to him and I want him to get his head straight and do the right thing, and also because it's not my first time seeing this film and I know what's going to happen. Uh I'm not in this squirming queasy space. I'm just like, "Oh, come on, you'll figure this out. Come on. Do it a little fa- figure it out a little faster." Yeah, right, the clock right, is ticking. Right. <laughs> when we were last night when we were watching this, rewatching it, that moment when she says to him, here, take Jimmy for a walk in the park. I was just like, ah, oh, no. How could you trust him? He's such a jerk. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I love the moment when he's walking with his baby and he stops and you see him thinking, turns the, the baby carriage around. It's like every scene he's motivated to do something. It's like, oh, please. Don't do this. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but he does. <laughs> he does. But we never stop seeing him as a human. He's never right. a monster. Well, He's, you know, they, was it Noah Hawley? Who, yeah, Noah Hawley making uh, Lucy in the Sky said that he wanted to make a movie about the real story, not the tabloid thing about the astronaut who drove across America wearing diapers because he knew there had to be a person behind that story, that the tabloid version yeah. isn't real. And yeah. in a way, this is that kind of story as well. This is something that you'll see in a headline, you know, father prosecuted for selling child. And Nine day old child, I might. Yeah. And you won't take two seconds to think, oh, that's, you know, you'll dismiss it right out of hand. That's a horrible right. person. He doesn't deserve, right. you know, throw the book at him. And absolutely, yes. <laughs> but yeah. We understand a little bit. We just get the tiniest sense of how completely... I mean, it's still wrong, and I am not justifying right. it. But, right. you know, there is no way this guy is ready to be a father. He sees an answer, he sees a solution, and he takes it because he's not thinking responsibly or in any way about how this action will affect anybody. Well, and he, everything is something for sale. You yeah, know? yeah. I mean, the, the hat... <laughs> Yes. You know, I'll give you X for this camera, but you got to throw in the hat, you know, and yeah. just and the way that he he said twice um, in the film, well, we'll just make another one. Yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah, no, it's 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 pure. I mean, he sees he sees their child as merchandise. Yeah, and you know, why wouldn't you just keep making them if you can get away with this? I it's know, fun. it's easy. Right. Well, right. all the labor is on her side. She has to carry it for and nine months. He doesn't months. even have to go to the hospital with her. Oh. Yeah. Well, Gary's right. come up with a perfect perpetual motion machine, but Jesus. Oh. But, you but know, that... to his credit, though, the moment, you know, after she passed out and he carried her to the, you know, to the car, to the hospital, immediately he started trying to get the baby back, you know? Yeah. She didn't have to tell him, you know, he... He came to that on his own. He kind of yes. grew up in that moment. Yeah, and that's what you root for, right? You root for yes. the, you root for them to maybe not redeem themselves, but at least just fix this one problem. Yeah, I think it yeah. is a style of the Dardane brothers that you know, in this pinnacle 
point, he'll add an action right immediately. And, and so Bruno makes that decision right away. Very much with, you know, his 14-year-old accomplice, <laughs> his, yes. his, his thief in training, <laughs> who he admires and plays along with and farts with him and, and so on and so forth. And they're bargaining back and forth and finally having sympathy with, with him when he gets caught by the police that he's, he went over the edge and he's got to do something. And it, once again, it's a, it's a moment of action. And you're wondering, where is he pushing this motorcycle? Is he going to sell it? Uh, what is he going to do? And he ends up at the police station. And that was the first surprise, a, a big surprise, the first time viewing this film. It's like, oh, my God, he has a heart. Yeah. But he, even when he says to the to the little kid, I forget his name, that yes. fourteen year old, he says, "I I brought the scooter." Yeah, the scooter doesn't work because he had to push it all over town, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. He hands him the key like he's just going to jump on it and bring it back to his brother, but it was broken. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it's he wasn't done totally with the con. But... Yeah, exactly. It's not even a question of having the right intentions. It's not that it's a gesture. <laughs> he just can't it's... help it. Yeah, exactly. That's what makes it believable as a human story rather than a scripted drama, almost. The fact that he doesn't change all the way in a moment. You know, like Ebenezer Scrooge's conversion is the result of a fantasy. The the whole thing of, of that story. Every Everybody wants... We're, I mean, we see it now with politicians and we see it with, with tycoons, for lack of a better word. We keep hoping that they'll have a come-to-Jesus moment, suddenly realize they've been doing the wrong thing and either resign or apologize or make good. That never happens. People don't change that radically. And that's why we take comfort in narratives where they do, right? Because it's it's an escape uh, from, from reality to see someone turn themselves around 100%. I think the closest you get is Bill Gates suddenly realizing, oh, you know what? Let's fight malaria, which, you know, good for him. I'm all, I'm all for it. But he still built Microsoft and did all that other damage. He's still charging too much. <laughs> yes. Well, yeah. You know, Elon Musk isn't going to suddenly realize that flying cars on, on Mars isn't going to work for everybody and he'll suddenly <laughs> turn around and become a socialist. And just all we want is incremental change. And, and the idea that the Dardens make movies where flawed people stay flawed but try to be less so and try to and just become aware of their own flaws and start to work to correct them that becomes rapturous for yeah. us by the end of the film you just you walk out on on this high of hope because all someone did was try to fix a mistake and that's that's enough right that's the thing that you hope people that you know will do that's the thing you hope the world can learn and somehow they've turned it into this this absolutely thrilling drama where this stranger that I'll never encounter who doesn't exist who's a fictional creation is still just trying to be a better person and it's inspirational damn it so do you think that um, you know when they were I guess this is a spoiler alert for if there's anyone in the world who hasn't seen this film. <laughs> yes, this 15-year-old movie. I think yeah. right. <laughs> um, that, you know, that last scene where that, that tragic thing where they their head, their foreheads are together and they're crying. I mean, did you think that, did you have hope that they were going to, like that he really, Bruno really had seen the light and he was going to, when they, he got out, he was going to lead a different life, be a different person. 
I hope so. I yeah. mean, she'll they're they're done. They're they don't have a future together, and she'll probably murder him in his sleep if he <laughs> ever comes back. Um, but I hope so. I hope that you know it's one of those it's one of those moments where you have the potential, and I think I'm buoyed by it because I want to believe he will try to change or at least just be better. Mm-hmm. You, he won't change i don't think he'll be you know he'll be shorting people on tips and he'll be kind of doing petty stupid stuff but he might be the interesting character who returns to the kid's life later having turned himself around even though his the child's mother isn't going to want anything to do with him there might be hope i i can see that movie i can see that sequel because i just automatically drawn towards narratives and i want to keep them going but i think the point is that if you if you want him to do that then that's what happens Right, like because the story ends, because we get to continue it in our own minds. Um, I I'm trying to remember how they put it. I actually interviewed the Dardens in Cannes. The one time I went was in 2008, uh, when Lorna's Silence was there. Oh my! <clears throat> and um, it was the only I, I did a handful of interviews because I was mostly just seeing everything in competition. And when it was offered to me, it's like yes, absolutely, yes, please let me sit down with these two Belgian masters. And they said something I found really interesting: that their our characters don't go to the movies, and because <laughs> they because they're busy. I think was yeah, the point. Yeah, they're hustling. <laughs> but it, yeah. yeah, but it stuck with me because it answers every question. The characters don't know about narratives and predetermined dramatic arcs. They're just flailing on their own. And <laughs> L'Enfant is a film that only works if it ends where it ends, right? Because if it gives us any further information, it solidifies the the, the, the stopping point they've chosen. And they did a similar thing with Lord of Silence, you know, which I think is how we ended up talking about that in the first place, where you just end on this strange note of ambiguity with this, this young pregnant woman who probably isn't actually pregnant, but is convinced that she still is in a cabin, isolated, alone, uh, facing a completely uncertain future. I think they know that they have to end where they end because otherwise we will fill in the blanks too, too right. concretely. Right, right. I mean, it was so tragic, the end of L'Enfant, you know? Mm. Just, they both knew that they had ruined their lives. Yeah. That, you know, to me, is the ending, that, is that they, they came to that realization uh, that they right. realized how fucked up their lives are and everything that led up to it is has destroyed their future to every in every way and um it might be may not be the most hopeful <laughs> answer to an ending of a film but to me it was a completion of his journey in a way because he came to terms he really saw who he is <laughs> yeah no i mean self-knowledge is an epiphany we don't all get right, right? i mean I'd like to think that I right. I know who I am. but Right, there's a part of you. Bruno's in there somewhere. Yeah. What was the Emo Phillips joke? I used to, th- uh, what was it? I've always thought the uh, the human brain is the greatest achievement in evolution, but look what's telling me that. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's just. Whose joke is that? Emo Phillips. Oh. Um, just, a, just a genius. Uh, but, but, but that's what this movie is about too, right? The, this, this person has built his life along a specific moral code, which is screw everybody over before they can screw you. Right. And he comes up against the limits of it. And mm-hmm. the glimmer of understanding that he's damaged himself more than anyone else. I mean, not literally. He sold his child. The child is more damaged than he is. But the idea that this is what you're forced to confront, that this is who he knows who he is, and it's up to him to live with it and be better. 
Right. Yeah, it's right. it's right. absolutely shattering. And the idea that you can come out of it feeling hopeful, or that I that I insist on feeling hopeful, probably just says more about me right. than about. I was as you were talking, I was thinking, yeah, how does somebody like get to be Bruno's age, even though he's not old? and not know the difference between right and wrong when it comes to selling a child, right? And not yeah. even like in the in the like adoption market where it's like nuns or good-hearted people are between you and the adoptees, you know. It's just like some dirty old building, you put the baby down on your jacket and come back and you find money there. Oh and yeah, nothing about that how, is right. How does he get to that point? But then I don't know. It, the, it's true. You just can't really hate the guy. And I, I know their intention is to help make people think, well, I could do something as morally reprehensible as that, given the opportunity, or maybe I actually have, you know, um, that it's in all of us, you know. What was so remarkable about that scene where he is selling his child is the labyrinth that he has to walk through. Immediately the viewer is disoriented, as he is too. And it's sort of a thriller in a sense in that he's in a dangerous place. There could be no money at all. There could be gunfire, who knows what. It's all a matter of trust on word that there would be compensation for this child that he gives up in this building and the only way that they communicate is by phone uh a little message and um it was quite a quite a scene in a sense he was he had to be in doubt that this may not happen and uh and even when he went back to get his baby (laughs) that was also in doubt like how remarkable for him as a character to turn around and bring back the child of his girlfriend, really. Um, and giving up his phone, too. That his only mode of communication. That's true. <laughs> That's how he makes his deals. <laughs> That's his only tool. <laughs> uh, you know, it had all these sort of amazing sort of thriller elements in the filmmaking that I, I thought, wow, you, you had me at the edge of my seat. Yeah, That's what makes it makes him sort of sympathetic in so many ways is that I'm sort of like with him but and, he also, and hoping. He also didn't, they didn't use the kind of thriller stylistic things. True. You know, mm-hmm. like your heart, they said your heart was in your throat, but it was still sort of handheld camera following the guy down the hallway, you know, that yeah. kind of stuff. And um, it was, it was interesting how they could scare you so much <laughs> by the way the handheld technique is is a superb method of making their narratives that dardane brothers have been very consistent about doing that and uh you just feel like you're in life such as the last scene it there's no over the shoulder shot of, of bruno and then cut to uh, uh his girlfriend it's like here's this side shot of both of them and you're just stuck with them and you're just yeah. watching them break down and um wow it's breathtaking to see that it's daring too it's like there's not going to be a cutaway but they they didn't care <laughs> they, we were talking about this this morning that um you you in trying to decide how to shoot that 
I mean, profiles are typically you don't think you're going to get as much of the emotion, but but you did. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, really profoundly, you know. Mm. Oh, that yeah. was such an unforgettable scene. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's the confidence too to know that they can just hold that shot by that point because if they don't have us by then, they'll yeah. never get the audience on board. Yeah. But they're they're almost they've chosen a very specific gray palette. You know, like it looks yeah. bleary and yeah. grimy and real. Yeah. But that and somehow it's never monotonous. There's a banality there that is absolutely intentional, right? There's their their lack of effect is itself a style. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But when you want to turn it into a thriller, when you want to actually inject elements of genre that we respond to as an audience because we understand how stories work and we know that you know someone goes into a dark alley that that's a bad thing uh maybe they use it metaphorically maybe it's a moral decision that's being made but it's still the staging the lack of you know the whole movie is handheld so we're already in a state of casual tension constant Mm -hmm. tension if you if you in those five minutes when it turns into a thriller and there are two separate sections but in those sections where the film does turn into a proper you know thriller we're already there we're already on edge we're already agitated but but it's an emotional agitation rather than the momentum of the narrative we're we're worried we're not scared it's a right. completely right. different right. experience and it's right. fascinating to be played you're, that way you're just sure he's gonna hand over all that money and then open that garage door and there's the baby's not gonna be there yeah you know <laughs> because yeah. why would it Right. I mean, if everybody right. else is at to screw him the same way he's at to screw, that's the other thing, right? He's confronting his own inclination. Like the way he lives his life has led him to this point, and right. all he can do is hope that the person on the other side has a sense of honor. Right. Right. Which is just, you know, the confidence to structure something that way. And I don't even think they do it consciously. I think they just know that that's where the story has to go. Yeah. That's their instinct. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. it's just so powerful. I mean, yeah. you can, I don't know how much, you know, how many notes they get from the people that fund their films or whatever, but can't you imagine like somebody reading that and just saying, it's unbelievable that in this den of thieves, you're going to run into this, you know, these people that give the baby back, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah, and I don't you believe You would just that. have to say that's, you know, that's, I, I believe that. This immoral character has got to run into morality somewhere along the line or something, you know? I yeah. mean, I'm getting a lot of notes on a script that I'm writing right now, and I keep imagining, like, how did they deal with that? Someone had to raise that question. Yeah. To a point when uh, uh, Bruno and his young accomplice are hiding from the police and they're in the river... And, and the little boy says, it's, it's too cold. You, yeah. you want him to escape. And then the filmmakers, the Darje brothers, throws another obstacle in front of this, these two characters by this little boy being so cold, he, he's going to drown. And, and yeah. Bruno has to save him. <laughs> oh, my God. You know, um, then with the, that thing of him running away after he puts him inside that, that abandoned building and says, I'll come back for you. And the young boy is pleading, you know, don't leave me. Yeah. And he leaves. And that, to me, was the tipping point that he felt that he abandoned his friend. And, oh, my God, what is he going to do? And I was the first time watching the film, it's like, 
asked myself, why, where is he going to go with his motorcycle? I just, and the answer came too, of course. It, it was a matter of patience. It was a, a kind of a nice tease, <laughs> filmmaking-wise, to suspend what you might think. It give you enough time, the audience enough time to think about what is going to happen next. And it was a, such a surprise that he gave himself up. Um, my Lord. Yeah. And that's when I was cheering for Bruno, which was the wonderful tipping point at the very end of the film when he cries with Sophie that, oh my God, he's realized how screwed up he has made his life, her life, the world. Right, those, those days of <laughs> rolling around the grass and yes. wrestling are so gone. So gone. But you know what I was just thinking as you were talking, Kenji, is I've never thought about this before, but in that film there's there's all this wonderful physicality. Yes. You know, like the way that they wrestle and um, throw those stones at each other and, um, <laughs> and you know, just the way that Bruno's like running around and the, when he gets beat up and um that even though it has this kind of documentary feel it doesn't like in documentaries it just seems like inevitably there's going to be something slack because that's just the way it happened and you need it you know but they don't they, they don't um they don't let that happen they they i mean i guess that's part of why they cast who they cast is because mm-hmm. they just will move and you know I don't know like that drowning thing I mean that was real the way that the little boy was climbing up on top of his head that's what yes. really happens yes you know yes when that's what they <laughs> teach you when you're a lifeguard is that you have to yeah a drowning person you, will bring you down with them right yeah they, so they teach you these moves to keep the person from climbing on top of your head you know <laughs> yeah, and I just you know they, I believe that they saw that somewhere, or that they they've been holding on to that idea somehow, and they finally have a place to put it. Yeah. <laughs> they're right. just they absolutely work in a in a specific lane. They really only want to tell the kind of stories they want to tell. Mm-hmm. They always tell the same kind of story mm-hmm. in that they have carved out a genre unto themselves. Mm-hmm. But they're the best at it. Nobody else can do the thing that they do. Or other people have tried and some have made admirable attempts, but really, mm-hmm. you know it when you see it. And when someone is trying to do a Dardan film, you say, oh, they're trying to do a Dardan. Like, there, there's no question. It's like the the way the Coen brothers have their own language and that you can feel people pretending the way the Tarantino was, was aped over and over again in the right. 90s because it looked like it was really easy, the thing he did. <laughs> but then you realize that the, the reason that's a genre unto itself is because that only that person can really do that, and then not even that all the time. But this, you know, I'm still not sure who the title refers to. I I love that about Mm -hmm. it, because it's obviously both of them. It's Bruno and it's so clearly either or. Yeah, 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 that's true. That's true, yeah. But they just create a world where both possibilities apply. Where if if the child refers to, to Bruno's son, then that is his focus for the entire film, and it's it's all about a man trying to get his child back. Mm-hmm. But if it's about Bruno, if the child is Bruno, then it's about an adolescent growing up finally and taking yeah. responsibility. And yeah. either way, the story works. It just depends on your yeah. perspective. It's I, just yeah, I think that it being about Bruno is 
I'm, I'm in that camp. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty sure it is too. Because <laughs> I don't think he spends the whole movie trying to get that kid back. <laughs> That's also true. <laughs> oh. oh, Bruno. <laughs> I can only imagine like uh, filmmakers, uh, contemporary filmmakers like Kelly Reichert has, had, maybe have studied uh, the Dardenne brothers <laughs> over time. Uh, she certainly has a, 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 a really appealing style. I, I just like her style very much. And uh, um, oh, and Deborah Granick too. Oh, Deborah Granick, one of yeah. my favorite filmmakers as well. But it yes. doesn't feel like they're imitating the no. Dardenne's, does it? To you? No, like, I, I don't. I wouldn't say that. Yeah. I, I think they are. I mean, Reichart just her earliest films are so different from where the Dardenne were around that time. Mm-hmm. Um, especially Old Joy. Uh-huh. I just, I don't know that, I don't know that the Dardenne would be interested in that conversation. Just mm-hmm. that it's, it's too static for them. There's like, you go somewhere, you sit down, you come back. <laughs> I get it. That, that's not their thing. They're always, people are always kind of mo- moving and hustling and, and working their way through, physically working their way through whatever their lives are doing. Yeah. Um, but I know what you mean. Reichardt and, and Granick, especially in Leave No Trace, there's this, boundless right. empathy right. for people in pain right. yes right or yes. for people yeah. figuring out that they don't need to live the way they live yeah mm-hmm. exactly yeah or at least the it's... daughter figuring that out well yeah <laughs> but, but like, that's I'm the, going like, back. yeah the yeah. horrible tragedy of that film is a daughter learning that she has to let, let her father go and the yeah. father knowing it yeah know. like that's the worst part he knows yeah. he can't change yeah yeah, yeah. I know. you're right that is so tragic yeah yeah and with Reichardt, I mean, you have stuff like certain women where it's just so, so rich in character and texture that that does feel like something that Dardenne's do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, also because it's in a small, like it's it's a microcosm of 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 space, of humanity, of narrative. It's it's confined in a yeah. way that people are trapped with themselves in much the same way everyone in in Belgium is apparently, according to the Dardenne's, that you can never really escape who, where you are. Or where you've right. come from, right? It's right. but it's just humanism, right? Like it's just simply understanding that people are the most interesting things you can put in front of a camera. Yeah. <laughs> now, do you think that they were influenced by Agnes Varda? Oh, maybe or Chantal Ackerman. Yeah. Oh, ah. oh, oh! You know, uh-huh. just the. I think their film, their cinema evolves from those movements, uh, not the new wave because they're not interested in in stylistic tricks except for the mm-hmm. style that they've created for themselves. Yeah. But I yeah, I think Ackerman I think about things like um <laughs> well, not Jean, yeah, even Jean Jean Dielman kind of fits in, right? I mean, it's a character study if nothing else. Which one? Oh, Jean Dielman, there the the three and a half hour epic with Delphine Serre going through the same motions oh. over and over again. Yeah. But the but again, that's someone who's trapped in her own life. And that's the only connection I can find. I I don't really see a, a larger connection stylistically. Yeah. It's a world apart. Right. But right. I think the movement, the the uh, the focus, the things that those filmmakers are playing with in the seventies and eighties probably influences the Dardennes to evolve what they do in the nineties and the, and the early two yeah. thousands. Yeah. Also, just the fact that you you could make movies the way they make them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's probably yeah. part of it. Right. They were waiting. They just they you know they're older than. Than most filmmakers who start out. Yeah. And they just found their moment and took it. Yeah. So they shoot with a really high shooting ratio? Is that what you mean by 
they had that. I just, I mean, of... compact cameras that, that could, oh, yeah, I cameras see. that can go on for long takes, but also they can just fly along with somebody while they're walking yeah. around. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that was the great thing when that, those came along, wasn't it? Yeah, it was shocking. I mean, I remember seeing Rosetta so in a theater. Liberating. It was liberating. And, and, but, and, and radio microphones were absolutely liberating to, to, to see that you're not tethered and you can hear someone remotely in, a, in, a, in, in the distance. But video yeah. looked, and, let me just tell you, because I went into that kicking and screaming was so horrible. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I no, did a lot a of terrible... jobs where really the aesthetic wasn't that important, but... There was no you shall, no such thing as a shallow depth of field. It was like, <laughs> from here to infinity, it's all in focus. And I'd say to the DP, can you like, you know, soften that bag? He's like, yeah, if you knock that wall out. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, it was hard to just totally appreciate the... It's not anymore because now you can get whatever you want out of those cameras. But Yeah, yeah. but there was a good 10 they, years where... It, we all knew what it was trying to be, and it wasn't there. It wasn't. Yeah. I know. But then, yeah. So that Kenji was thinking that maybe L'Enfant was shot in 16 or Super 16 or something. I think it is Super 16. Yeah. yeah. I just mean that the, the mm-hmm. styles were, people were, rea- people were already reacting to the changes in tech, and that enabled them to understand what was possible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think, wasn't, no, I don't know. Not, Lorna Silence is definitely shot in 35, I think. I can't be sure. Yeah, yeah. This is exactly the sort of thing I should know going in. <laughs> oh, good heavens. Who cares, really? Well, Who cares? No, we just, we've talked in a circle around it, that's all. Right. Just, I've, right. I've walked us into this minefield. Right. I don't know. But I think that, yeah, they're definitely, they love the sense of freedom that handheld gives you. And the, yeah. the texture of the world that they create is so important. Yeah. That... You need to like we need to be in it, unable to find our bearings. We need to be just pulled along with whatever characters yeah. are in front of us. I mean, I, when you met them, did you talk to them about like how do they tell the actors? Like, how do they block the actors? Like, it doesn't they don't light in such a way that you have to hit this mark. And I guess that's one of the wonderful things about the handheld cameras that wherever Sophie ends up in space. The camera's there with her, mm-hmm. you know. That yeah. They don't have to be, but I don't know. I mean, that's what it looks like. But did you talk to them about that when when you met them? We didn't get a lot of time. It was a round table um, with wow. five or six other people, and I think we only had fifteen or twenty minutes with them. Wow. Or we didn't get to talk about the way they shoot, which yeah, I yeah. regret. No, you'd have to be talking to them for a long time to yeah. get into yeah. the weeds I mean, like that with them. Next time ever, if I ever get another oh, chance, God. To, uh, yeah. a one-on-one with them would be lovely. Right. Yeah, right. I can only imagine that not only is that, you know, uh, handheld and, and light cameras um, uh, a way to capture things inexpensively and um, with activity, of course, in the, in the frame, but... Painterly wise, it, it is a way of expressing what's going on. That you're in the moment. That's what it's, it is expressing, rather than being on stilts and steady, and the camera doesn't move. You know, you're you're less of a fly on the wall. You know, as yeah. it were. So you are truly in the moment, and especially if you're moving with them, as 
Bruno is walking through the hallways of this abandoned building. The elevator doesn't work. He, he figures that out. He climbs up, he abandons the, the, the carriage, places the, be- the baby down in this labyrinth of walls and doors. It's just, you know, you feel like you're right there with him and um, you're going through the maze with him. Uh, you, you are at risk yourself as an audience member. Yeah. <laughs> so to speak. Yeah, no, no, I know exactly what you Taking mean. Taking the, the chance that nothing will happen, that the baby will be gone and there'll be no money. It's like, you know, your mind is, they're, they're giving you enough time to let it sink in. It's not going to cut to the next thing that's going to happen. <laughs> time has to, wa- has to go by. You hear patter of feet. And it's like, your mind is like rolling. What's going to, well, what is going to happen? Oh, my Lord. <laughs> Jeez, there's yeah. some money here. No, it is. Wow, it's, he's it's, happy. <laughs> Motherfucker. <laughs> yeah. What are the odds? What are the odds that someone else would, would come through? Yes. So a dishonest person was honest. <laughs> yeah. It's so, like there's one miracle in every one of their movies, and that was it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, the miracle true. was getting the baby back. Yes. Yeah. Oh, my fucking God. <laughs> that was yeah. too much. <laughs> oh, it's... I'm so glad you picked it. It's such a great, yeah. It's a great, yeah. Movie. It's yeah. one I hadn't thought about for a while too, and it was just a great excuse to get back into it. Well, yeah. That was like that was Kenji's idea. That was a great idea. It was fun to watch it. Like yes. we we thought about Winter's Bone, mm-hmm. and um, and so I don't know when we start every night. It was like, oh, should we watch Winter's Bone? It was like, oh. I don't think so. <laughs> but then it was like, should we watch The Child? Yes! Yes! <laughs> I have the energy for that, you know. Gee, that's so, how you know. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love Winter's Bone, too. But, yes. Um, there is a, um, a complexity in, in the dynamics of that rolls so quickly as the movie goes forward. Between Sophia and, and um, Bruno... And the world situation around Bruno, um, yeah. you know, who is he trusting? Can he, you know, uh, who is he making this deal with to sell the camera? Can is he trusting her? What? Oh my God! She actually said, suggests, oh by the way, you can adopt these kids. You know, people pay good money. That passes, and then he has this moment it's like, da da, I'm gonna do this. Oh my fucking God! So there's uh, so many moving parts. In Lafont, uh, yeah, it it's a complicated story. But really. she's also, I just dawned on me, she's not buying that little camera because she's into camera. She's going to sell it to somebody else, right? Yeah, yeah, right. I mean, yeah, just she's like, taking she's taking him for some kind of ride. She's right. going to make more on this than he is. Right, yeah. right, yeah, yeah. She's got a, her reach is a little further out of this desperate circle right yeah and it yeah. gives us a sense of of bruno's station too where he is in, uh-huh. the, in the food chain right yeah right right he is like she's a hustler and he's petty yeah he's a, exactly like there's scammer hustler right i guess you vault up to child seller right yeah yeah he, yeah. yeah it's not a it's not an aspirational position no Maybe his mind is. <laughs> it's true. Child I mean, broker. That's probably a better child broker. Gig <laughs> right, better gig. Yeah. Right. right. He should be the one laying out forty six hundred euros for the the baby. 
Yeah. I mean, it was interesting to see that little thing that the baby was in, that little bouncy thing in the garage when he got the baby back. It was all colorful and clean and it had all these little toys on it. And remember how he was worried? He said, the people that are going to get this baby, are they're going to have money, right? You know, and it was just yes. so clear that they, whoever got that baby Better had take, the money to um, take care of this Give kid. it like all those yeah. colorful things and, yes. you know, it was... That was like an a, interesting thing. Yeah. A flicker of awareness that there's a, a structure, like a larger thing going on. Right, right. That eventually the baby would make its way out to some family, some people with money or something. But they might have money, but they not, might not be good parents. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's it's the absolute terrifying unknown, right? Like the, that child, will he'll never see him again. It's going to disappear and probably right. be spirited out of the country and it's just right. gone. And right. in a split for a second it seemed like an answer. Right. And then the world comes crashing back down on him. Yeah, right. to him it right. seemed like an answer. Yeah. Right. Oh. Oh. And by the way, Sophie, <laughs> you are going to have another kid so we can sell that one yeah. too, by the way. Yeah. Well, once you figure out where the money comes from, why not? Yeah. Right. Just, it makes it makes so much sense if you have no soul. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Life would be so much easier. <laughs> I assume. Oh, and the way she fainted and Oh yeah. And then he you know, he then she stood up and she fainted again and then she was just out cold and oh. I, I, I and, and I love the, the the sense that, you know, he's carrying her and there's all this traffic and people of course driving by a man holding a woman who's unconscious, you know, with her arms, you know, dragging on the ground practically. And zooming ahead, so here's this picture of society, just like, never mind, just keep going. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. They just they say so much. It's such a simple image. It's yeah. yeah. No, that's yeah. that's why that's why I love them. That's why yeah. we yeah. keep coming back. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So this is yeah this is kind of a weird way out uh, because we're you well actually no it's not I was going to say the the final question on the podcast is always. Is there anything of, of this film that you have borrowed or lifted or, or homaged or stolen outright? But you you did say you're working on a new script, so I was just wondering if there's any connection there, any any darn any influence on what the next oh, project's going to be. Jeez, I don't think so. Do you? Not not in this sort of um, uh, not in this sense. N- Nancy's new script is about. Um, it's called When We Were Cowgirls. <laughs> okay. And it, it's it's certainly about young women having a comfortable life, abandoning that to be ranch hands in the 70s, which is, you know, culturally at that time, post-Vietnam War, um, Second wave of feminism, but Second not wave, in the ranching country. But not in the ranching <laughs> yeah, company. Yeah. <laughs> but, I, yeah, I don't think that there's any sense of, um, like, lack of morals, you know? I, I think the, same the psychological of... problems are different. Um, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, well, one thing I, I can think say in about the your friendship, story. it's the you know the two cowgirls are really good friends, and I think that there is some um, 
I don't know if it's immoral. It could be like immoral behavior from one to the other as a way of trying to push her away. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's not really about ethics and morality, you know. It's much more about open hearts and closed hearts, you know. So, and it's not going to have that gray look. <laughs> you know, like no, not on a ranch. It, no, it's you need set sky in the high, sun. cold desert. That's beautiful country. It just you know, it's ironically very inspirational, and also the challenge of defining and defending what a real friendship is. This is a lifelong friendship that's on the fray, and it it. It's on a knife's edge of disappearing. It's really, the story just just tra- traverses this knife's edge. And each, one, each character wants something that the other one has that they don't have. And um, they need that. It's, it's dangerous territory for a very close people okay yeah it's um, yeah it it's internal except that it's externalized from being out in the west because uh other sort of opportunities come come forward in this tiny community very gossipy small town community where you have to be careful especially if you're from outside entering okay. into a new place. I think that's, I think you've pitched it enough. Yes. <laughs> Anybody out well, there that wants to give us the money? Yes. <laughs> You'll put them in touch with us, right? I would be happy to. Well, I'm certainly, sorry, sounds, you know, the Darby Brothers have so, always been an inspiration of capturing what's real, that there's drama around every corner. Yeah, that's, I mean, that that's sense exciting. of real, you know, is... Um, that's that's there that will definitely be there but i have to say you know i never have been able yet to get another feature made after thousand pieces of gold and we i went back to documentary and um boy i like having a little style and take two and lights and you know like i i really in in documentary you just don't get that right because once it happens you don't get it it's gone and um and so yeah i i won't miss you know i probably won't be using a whole lot of handheld (laughs) embrace the control yeah yeah i love that now we're gonna do that over yes oh we're waiting on the lights that's okay yeah (laughs) (laughs) yes we have lights there, there is a joy in working with narrative as, as I have with Nancy and, and other films, and that is that you're not uh, repairing something. Documentaries is often broken. There's half a story and you're trying to make the other half work. Mm-hmm. And you don't know what that is. Nothing seems to be working. And hopefully in the script, in the screenwriting, that it's, it's worked out. Then it's the performances that you're weaving together and it sometimes it's so much better than you ever expected and dialogue drops and 
the person saying in fewer words tells exactly what you want to communicate. So that's the beauty of yeah, it's, it's of... never the story you set out to tell. <laughs> yeah. You're just always I hear watching. That a lot. Is the story, is that where it's going? Is... Yeah. <laughs> uh, but that's the fun of it, right? When you finally get it locked in. Yeah. The discovery, the, the joy of knowing that you have your endpoint. Yeah. So I'm told. Anyway, that's the, yeah. the yeah. thrill that everybody to, chases. It's hard to um, let go of what you originally thought it was going to be. You know, like one of the. The documentaries we made was like a video memoir called Downside Up. It was about my hometown saving itself from extinction, from extinction um, <laughs> by allowing one of its abandoned factories to be turned into America's largest museum of contemporary art, um, which is just absurd, you know. Um, but that was the one that I always felt like all the twists and turns actually were exactly you know where it needed to go and we were discovering it but there was a lot of um scripted sort of memoir elements to it Mm -hmm. because it became this sort of self-discovery on my part about what the town was and how ashamed we were and what had really happened to the town um so that was that one i i don't have any regrets i don't think i knew what i thought it was going to be in the beginning you know i was just following it but usually there's like this concept about what's going to happen and then it never happens and I always feel like such a failure it's like <laughs> how come I couldn't make that happen you know <laughs> how come I had I had to settle it always feels like you're settling for whatever yes you got yeah <laughs> yeah whereas with a dramatic feature you can just will it into existence well, well. You, script, you write like a hundred million drafts and you get you know yes. you try it by the time you're ready to shoot, you know what and I'll is. bet this is the case for the Dardens, even though it looks so sort of spontaneous and everything, they do a lot of drafts and, um, you know, you know where you're going. Oh, I'm sure. You yeah. know? And so, you know, and every scene, you know, is leading you towards where you're going. And that's, oh, that is so comforting, you know, like you can just remind the actor about this or that, you know? (laughs) (laughs) My thanks to Nancy Kelly and Kenji Yamamoto, whose 1991 drama Thousand Pieces of Gold is now available in that lovely 4K restoration on disc and on digital from Kino Lorber. Thanks also to David Nin. He knows what he did. Nancy and Kenji are on Twitter at RebelsDoc, all one word, R-E-B-E-L-S-D-O-C, and you can find L'Enfant on DVD from Sony Pictures Home Entertainment and streaming in HD on the Criterion channel, which I hope means there's a Blu-ray on the way. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Norm Wilner and elsewhere on the internet at NowToronto.com, where I'm hosting a bunch of podcasts these days. Go check them out. You can find this podcast on Twitter at Semcast, S-E-M-Cast, and on the web at SomeoneElsesMovie.com. Our theme song is by The Last Year. If you like it or the show in general, say something. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or wherever you've been enjoying us. Every little bit helps. It truly does. And check out the other shows on the Frequency Podcast Network. Jordan Heath-Rawlings' The Big Story is essential listening, frankly. Stay inside. Watch movies. I'll see you next week. <laughs>